first of all, you've seen a lot of professional athletes that are back and ready to go, like basically running and doing like all these agility drills at like four or five months post-surgery. And you're like, well, I should be able to do that. And you don't realize that that's because they're in PT 24 seven, you know, with somebody um, that's telling them what to do every day, multiple times a day. Um, Yeah. And they have all the recovery tools in the world, you know, to get through that too. So yeah, I think I was just expecting the whole process to go much, much faster than it did. And I would say it took me total probably 11 months or maybe even a full 12 months to Mm -hmm. really feel like, okay, I think I can do this on my own now. And I was not expecting that. I was thinking like seven, eight months, I'll be fine. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you very much for joining me on another week of the HL Movement Podcast. If you haven't already, I would like to ask each and every one of you, if you like the episodes, please go to Apple Podcasts. Please give the podcast a five-star rating and leave a helpful review to help the growth of this podcast. Also, you can check out my website for a lot more free content. And you can also get a free copy of my ebook, Essentials to Elevate Your Performance, with a lot of good basic tips and habits and fundamentals that you can implement into your practice to really elevate your performance. To get that copy, go to hnlmovement.com slash free, F-R-E-E. And you can sign up there to get your free copy immediately. This week, it's my pleasure to welcome Anissa to the podcast. And this is a must-hear episode for anyone that's going through surgery or a season-ending injury or anything that takes a long time to recover. And the recovery process is half a year, nine months, even a year after surgery or that injury to come back and return back to full level of activity, participation, and that high level of performance. In this episode, Anissa shares her story growing up, but also the enduring process and her journey overcoming ACL reconstruction. And it's something that unfortunately is so common that we hear people coming back from ACLs, but to really hear the process, especially for someone that was not too familiar with how long and the road to recovery following that surgery. This is a great story. We share a lot of the insights and this will give a lot of good perspective for those that are going through the process now or have to go through this process in the future. Anissa has a lot of great stories to share. She's very active and I am very glad to report that she's back to all levels of training and doing all the activities that she loves. I don't want to say any more. I just want to jump to it. So let's go ahead and get to this week's episode. Welcome back everyone and we're here with Anissa who has been a pro patient and has gone through ACL surgery and recovered and is back to all of her activities. So that's what we're going to share today, this interesting story. But thank you so much, Anissa, for coming down and jumping on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, so let's start. You have a very, very interesting story with all the activities that you participate in from when you were growing up, but all the way until now. So that makes it very unique when you're coming back from ACL surgery because the caliber or the level that you want to return to is a lot greater than most and let's start there let's start with growing up 
playing sports and being active, what was your childhood like? So, I think the very first sport I played was t-ball, and maybe that lasted for about two years, you know, with my brother and all the neighbor kids. Um, And then from there, I transitioned into soccer, probably around age seven, and I played that all the way through high school. Um, I also swam on the summer swim team, and I did that um, mostly when I was younger, but then I also did it later in high school. Um, But my high school actually didn't have a summer swim team, or I mean a swim team. Yes. Like varsity, you know, JV, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So I only swam competitively in the summers on the summer swim team. Yes. And I also, once I hit ninth grade, I started running track and I became a middle distance runner. So running pretty much anything from the 400 to the two mile, (laughs) mostly the 800 and the mile though. Yes. Very, very active childhood (laughs) growing up. Yeah. And let's start with, you're not originally from Hawaii. No. So let's, let's start with... What was it like growing up on the mainland and where are you from and all of those things that kind of led you to be so active growing up? Yeah, I'm from northeast central Pennsylvania, so a little town called Hughesville. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of close, well, about 20 minutes away from Williamsport, if you ever heard of the Little League World Series. Um, About an hour away from Scranton for anybody Mm -hmm. who watches The Office. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. I had I grew up with an older brother, um, and my parents definitely encouraged us to be pretty active. Before I was even on the swim team or anything, you know, my mom was taking us to the pool in the summers. Um, my dad really liked soccer, so he was really excited to get us into that. Is there is soccer a really big sport in your town? I mean, I guess I'm from a really small farm town, so there's not. <laughs> How small are we talking about? Uh, my high school was one building seven through 12 like we didn't have a middle school and um one story how many were in your graduating class about one like 120 oh okay but i would say like the three surrounding schools graduated 60 okay and the school north of us which my mom was a um chemistry teacher at uh, that is one school for the whole county, and it graduates about like fifty or sixty kids. So got it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's interesting because if the town was that small with not too many schools, yeah. how was the dynamic of high school sports? Um, you know, we definitely had our rivalries between us and like the other neighboring small town. <laughs> yeah. um, but I would say like our high school was pretty good. Definitely like. I don't know, in Pennsylvania, we're double A. So the largest is quad A and the smallest is single A. So we're definitely on the small side. We were pretty competitive, um, especially like our our girls soccer team. We were pretty good our junior and senior year um, for track. We actually had a small but really good track Mm -hmm. team. Like everybody ran the events they were supposed to run, Mm -hmm. you know, and our coach had it calculated out to the point. Like you need to get first place in this third place in this and we can win this meet by one point and <laughs> yeah. like you know we won some conference championships we had several girls and relay teams go to states like we were we held our own for being like a pretty small town i would yes. say for at least girls athletics and i think the guys did okay too yes. so. so with that small town right atmosphere yeah. did you play like all the teams or all of the other schools like twice or how um, was there enough teams to actually oh yeah make a yeah, full yeah, yeah. season yeah you might have like a you know, if you're going to a away game, it might be like a 45 minute or an hour bus ride, depending on who you're playing. Got it. 
but yeah definitely a full season not like not like the private schools over here where it was like play everyone twice oh really i didn't even know that oh my gosh until now where they have that open division where public and privates play each other oh really it was just ilh would just play each other twice so and i'm not too familiar because i'm from public school so then yeah, i didn't yeah. have that but then that was for the longest time ever since i was in high school till now they yeah just recently changed it to oh, open wow. up competition but i was thinking maybe yeah. it's something like that that you know there's yeah. not enough teams definitely no i mean there's enough mm-hmm. you know you might have to drive a while but yeah we actually don't even there was like one private school that was in williamsport but other than that like mm-hmm. private school wasn't even an option mm-hmm. like it was just public school <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so majority of this, what was your your favorite activities growing up? Was it always soccer or was it more being in the water or what's your passion? Um, Definitely soccer. I can say that without a doubt. I wish I could say, looking like now that I run so much, I wish I could say it was track, but I was a much better runner in ninth and 10th grade than I was my junior and senior year. And I think that when you're like I did not like as a middle distance runner or a distance runner you need to learn to like love and like lean into the pain of running and instead I actually got somewhat scared of it and shied away from it instead of leaning in but soccer was definitely definitely my favorite because it can be just like such a rush and I was a midfielder so I ran a lot and yeah Um, got it but but they're different you know the team sport versus the individual yes yeah you played soccer you did really well was there any like passion or expectation for you in high school to play at the next level i it honestly it barely crossed my mind Mm -hmm. my parents definitely encouraged us really heavily to play sports but also really really exceed academically Mm -hmm. Um, my brother and i and i should mention um, my parents both went to penn state and in pennsylvania when your parents go to penn state you go to penn state it's like very culty like that (laughs) and like your kids will go to penn state and Uh that's that's just it that's like the history for you but i yeah i mean i was pretty much dead set on going to penn state and i was not at the caliber to play Mm d1 athletics and i Sometimes I, looking back, like I wish I would have maybe went to like a D3 school and played soccer or something. But at the same time, like Penn State was such a magical place to be. Like I'm, I'm still glad that I had that experience, yes. even if I didn't play soccer. Got it. <laughs> so, I mean, you still stayed active though. So let's, let's yeah. move on past high school because, yeah. you know, you did a lot of different activities from track to swimming to soccer. And yeah. then you carried that over, from my understanding, <laughs> into into college, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that, that transition into, you know, now you're at a big-time university, too. Yeah. The campus is huge compared yeah. to your school. And you're also figuring out how to incorporate all of this, I want to say more than recreationally, because yeah. your level that you're <laughs> trying to strive for is a yeah. lot more than just the weekend warrior. But yeah. why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so... I did not play any club sports or anything my freshman year at Penn State, but I actually was in the blue band all four years, so I played trombone in the marching band. Um, But on top of that, my sophomore through senior year, I was on the club triathlon team. Mm -hmm. And so it's not NCAA, but it's part of like USA Triathlon. Mm -hmm. And my rationale with that was like, I wasn't in any club sports. I didn't think I was good enough for club soccer, and I just wasn't... I didn't really want to do club cross country or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So I think I saw somebody with a Penn State club triathlon t-shirt and I was like, oh my God, I can (laughs) run, I can swim. Like I'm sure biking's not that hard. Like, and so I just like went to one of the club meetings and like signed up and started training with them. And yeah, I did that for three years. And you never did any, uh, any triathlon training before that? No. 
was the first time. <laughs> got yeah. it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So how did that play out? Um, that was pretty fun. It's definitely like a learning curve with biking and all the equipment and all uh-huh. that kind of stuff. But um, as far as swimming went, we mostly, you know, we trained as a team like about twice a week for swimming. And then, you know, I would maybe swim on my own, like in between classes, mm-hmm. like whenever I had a break. Um, running, sometimes we would do group runs, but sometimes it was on your own. You know, everybody has a different yeah. schedule. And then biking, it's so it's really cold in Pennsylvania, so you can kind of only like our winter is basically, I don't know, basically like end of October until maybe May. Uh-huh. And you know, it's really cold, it snows, sleets, ice, <laughs> yeah, and everything. then even if it's not, there's a ton of cinders on the road mm. from how much they have to like salt the road. So mm. you really can't bike outside for like half the year. So you pretty much just have to get a trainer and you just suffer indoors stationarily. <laughs> so that's, I'm guessing yeah. a lot of those sessions yeah. that you just yeah. push through the indoors. Yeah. But yeah, the cold, I, I think that's something, especially in Hawaii, that we take for granted. Because yeah. year round, we can just train however we want. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And like, it might be too hot, but at least you can go outside. Like, train, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So how did that kind of transform? Uh, once you started getting that that taste of triathlons, it carries on even to this day. That's yeah, definitely. Like, I just, like, really developed my swimming a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I had not really, you know, summer swim team, you just, you have a practice and you don't, it's not that competitive. No. You know, it's not like winter or club swimming or anything like yeah. that. But I definitely exposed myself and pushed through, like, a lot of like much longer harder training sessions mm. which made me become a much better swimmer mm. as far as like running and biking you just like find expertise from like the older people on the team and we had some people that are kind of like borderline professional in college Got and it. now some of them are professional <laughs> like living in like boulder and stuff so mm. you just take advice from them but it was definitely really fun i think i ended up doing like overall like six olympic triathlons and oh. two sprints over that those three years yeah yeah no that's a lot yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's a lot of training too and everything yeah yeah some years i definitely trained more than others and it really just depended on my class schedule Uh um but it was really fun and it was like it's something where you might have to pull two a days because Mm. you're technically training three sports at a time so yeah yes but i enjoy that and i really like endurance and running and swimming and biking is like uh, i'll do it but it's not my favorite <laughs> it's not, and yeah. this is good because you know you continued to do it because you had that passion it was fun it was something that yeah. you like to see how you're improving with yeah and for whatever your sport is whether yeah. you're at the professional collegiate level or even even just starting something yeah. you need to have that fun aspect to it otherwise you're not going to be consistent and you're not yeah. really gonna really get the most out of that experience definitely yes. yeah now thinking about coming from like that soccer background right yeah was there anything in your high school career that kind of prepped you for training in triathlons? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think so. Not really. It's two <laughs> I mean, different things. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Like, maybe, I mean, just track, I guess. Like, mm. um, my high school track coach, he was pretty good with, like, our distance group. He, I remember him discouraging us from running with music, and that's okay. something that I still don't do to this day. Mm. Just, like being comfortable with like the silence and so I think that's something that's essential if you're doing like you know training and endurance sport especially swimming like I think there are you know like earbuds you can get that are like waterproof Mm -hmm. and stuff but I personally like the silence just hearing yourself struggle to breathe is fun I guess that's the mental aspect that's a huge mental aspect yeah Yeah. that's interesting too you know like some of those things that your coaches do 
tell you or teach you in the beginning. Yeah. Those are things that really help you to push through and get better at yeah. whatever the activity is, yeah. right? Now, I kind of want to touch on this too because even right now, you're going for your PhD, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. In a little bit, but <laughs>、yes. you just mentioned how important, like your parents instilled in you and your brother, yeah. That, you know, it's important to study hard, be an academic, and you know, have something that you're doing or progressing towards in that department too. So, at Penn State, what was your major? What was the college experience like, academic-wise, for you? I majored in immunology and infectious disease. Um, but I didn't come in as that. I actually came in as pre-med, thinking I wanted to go to med school, just like everybody else. So, <laughs> yeah, I—that's what I started out as. And at Penn State, it's kind of weird. Like instead of you majoring in something else and being on a pre-med track, you're actually majoring in pre-med.、Mm. And so basically, you take a bunch of GPA killers. Like you—I mean, you have to take calc anyway. Which is fine. I like math, but they made you—they were going to make you take like calc-based physics, which is just unnecessary for a physician. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know why you would need that. You're definitely going to forget it immediately. And so, yeah, it was just there wasn't a whole lot of direction to it, and it was basically filled with GPA killers. And I just like wasn't—I don't—I just wasn't very happy with that.、Um, so I kind of looked around, and at the time. Penn State was only one of five universities in the country that offered immunology and infectious disease、okay. as a major for undergrads. Like normally, it's、mm-hmm. typically like a graduate field. Like、mm-hmm. you would get your master's or PhD in that. And so I was just like, well, I should probably capitalize on this and just at least try it out. It's, it seems、mm-hmm. interesting, and it just clicked. Like I just really liked my immunology classes. I had some good professors, and I think going from pre med, which is like, you know. You're one of a million kids at Penn State in the、mm. pre-med track. You're nobody going into like a smaller major like that with actually like good professors who like really cared about you, and going into smaller classes like that was huge. And、yeah. I just felt like more connected, and I was getting more out of it. And so I really liked it. And then yeah, here I am getting my PhD. <laughs> yes, and it probably reminded you of the smaller class sizes in your high school. Definitely, yeah. Like that was something that was really really hard to adjust to it. Penn State、um, was like coming from such a small town, and you know technically Penn State is still surrounded by cows and cornfields. Like it's in the middle of nowhere, but it seemed like a city to me because I'm, I mean I'm I didn't grow up anywhere near a city, and we, my parents are not city people, so we did not spend、Got、a lot、it. of time in cities. So like Penn State, just like the sheer volume of people, it it felt. Like、mm-hmm. you were the tiniest fish in an ocean, yeah.、Yes. So being in like a much smaller environment was helpful. Got it. Yeah. We're gonna fast forward a little bit before we get into the ACL <laughs>、okay. part and the injury. So, explain a little bit. What was the path and the road from Penn State to University of Hawaii? Because、oh, these、yeah. are like kind of two different caliber colleges. I mean, yes, we do have good programs. I'm an alumni of University of Hawaii, so I can say that. But it's pretty distinct with. Yeah, you know the culture, the location,、oh, everything. Oh yeah, yeah, for、so. sure.、Oh, okay, where to start? So, <laughs> several things. So before I came here, I went to get my master's degree,、okay. and I did that at Tulane in New Orleans.、Okay. So kind of similar, same humidity and heat, and like, but somewhat, yeah, yeah. a lot worse, I would、yeah. say, but like kind of the same.、Uh-huh. But basically, I got my master of public health there, and they have a like technically their school of public health is public health and tropical medicine, and that was something that was really interesting to me was like global health and infectious disease, like neglected tropical diseases, things like that. So. 
that I was looking for MPH programs after college and I decided on Tulane. I went mm-hmm. there. And then the second thing was that I also worked ocean rescue in college okay. in North Carolina mm-hmm. uh, along the Outer Banks, a small town called Nags Head. And so I spent three summers there doing that, like just, you know, working and also, you know, being basically fully immersed in like the Mm -hmm. lifeguard ocean sports and everything like that. After completing my MPH at Tulane, like I really knew that I wanted to continue on to get a PhD. Mm -hmm. And weirdly enough, Tulane and University of Hawaii are the only two schools in the country, technically that have a specific tropical medicine department. I think Baylor maybe has a tropical medicine program, but it's for people that are already like physicians. It's like kind of like a certification thing after the fact. But yeah, I just wanted to continue in that environment. And the thought of living in Hawaii seemed cool. And like I already had like a lot of like attachment to the ocean and, Mm -hmm. you know, ocean sports and things like that. So I was like, well... And I really, like, not a lot of people, I would say, in academia are like this, but I really prioritize my lifestyle and, like, Mm -hmm. athletics and those kind of things as much as school and whatever my job or work is because I think it's, for me, it's equally important. Mm -hmm. So I wanted, like, if if I were to get a PhD in, like, Nebraska, like, I've never been to Nebraska, I (laughs) guess I can't knock it, but, like, I would be miserable, you know, like, there's... Yeah, I just I, that wouldn't be fun to me. So like being in an environment where I can still live the lifestyle I want to live yes. while getting my PhD was pretty cool. And that <laughs> is something important for you know everyone to consider, right? Even yeah. If you do have control of these choices, right? That work-life balance for anything that you're doing, whether that's sometimes even playing collegiate sports, right? For a lot yeah. of the listeners that listen to this, is like take into consideration everything because that's really what's gonna help you succeed or you know either make it you know miserable or yeah. <laughs> unenjoyable yeah. right yeah so that's really interesting i did not know that that's the reason why you came to hawaii and i mean i think most people weighing out hawaii versus tulane right you're gonna yeah. probably unless you really hate the outdoors and hate the warm weather then yeah then you might uh sway the other other way but that's interesting to hear that that's how your journey has kind of transformed and taken you to hawaii yeah now Let's start to get more into the injury part. (laughs) Okay, so we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but fortunately you did not have major injuries all throughout your high school and even recreational career. Yeah. But then you did sustain a torn ACL, which I'll just let you elaborate more on like the timeline of this and kind of what happened before you came to Hawaii and you actually got it reconstructed. Yeah, really no major injuries at all (laughs) I would say I was like pretty hardy Um, but yeah I did tear my well at the time I didn't know but I kind of suspected I guess but Mm -hmm. so I partially tore my ACL this in July of 2015 like while I was working ocean rescue Um, I was like not on duty at the time Mm -hmm. but I was basically running and then I kind of like went over like, you know, I was running in sand mm-hmm. and like I just hit like a dip in the sand mm-hmm. and my just when my left leg hit the ground, mm-hmm. I immediately felt this like bizarre sensation yep. followed by some pain and like I knew it was not normal. Like it yep. was it was a really weird feeling. And my first thoughts were, Oh my gosh, like my boss is gonna kill me. We also have like regionals coming up in two weeks. So mm-hmm. there's a whole like competition circuit of mm-hmm. like ocean rescue lifeguarding, like mm-hmm. on the mainland. I don't 
I don't really think Hawaii does I'm it. I'm not too sure, yeah. actually. Yeah. But it's really big on the mainland. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> New Jersey, North Carolina, Florida, California, they're all really into it. But so basically, USLA, which is the United States Life Saving Association, mm-hmm. divides up all the beaches into regions. Mm-hmm. And so our region um, was Virginia Beach down to Jacksonville, Florida. And you have regional competitions. Um, and so that was coming up in two weeks. And like I knew that that was in jeopardy based off of how yeah. much my knee was hurting and as well um and also just like working you know ocean rescue is a very completely physical job so yeah basically i didn't really get an mri but i kind of knew like based off of the pain and swelling that something wasn't right so i basically took like three or four days off of work and i kt taped it like watched a bunch of youtube videos like you can do like this lattice thing to drain swelling (laughs) um i did that i iced i took ibuprofen um and i pretty much got back to like 80 percent function to the point where i could like work and train again and then yeah i basically ignored it for three years until (laughs) (laughs) i basically had to get an mri because i had so much swelling yes (laughs) Okay, so this this is a true story because yeah. this is this is exactly how I met you. So, how did that three years play out? Like, because you were still very active, yeah. right? But you did say that there was a lot of issues, things were problematic. But what kinds of things were you able to do? What types of things did you do to alleviate some of the problems? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, <laughs> so after that summer, I moved to New Orleans to go to Tulane to get my master's degree. And so New Orleans is incredibly hot. And I had also just spent the last three years doing triathlons. I was kind of like over endurance sports at that time. So I possibly would have been in a lot more pain had I been trying to run more, but I wasn't because it was, I mean, it's just too humid. Like, I don't know how people do it down there, but yeah. So I had actually started doing CrossFit then. Um, And I, after immediately like having that injury, I kind of lost like full extension of my left leg like at the knee Um, and that happened like almost immediately and I just never got it back the Mm -hmm. whole entire time at times my knee would flare up doing CrossFit like maybe if I was doing like a you know tons of squats like Mm -hmm. a squat cycle for two or three weeks or something like that Mm -hmm. or like a workout that had a ton of squats in it and I probably didn't have the best mechanics I'm sure I was letting my knee collapse in a Mm -hmm. lot like things like that Um, and basically all I would do was like ice and take ibuprofen maybe KT tape for support, yeah. but like, who knows if that was even doing anything? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, me doing it myself based off of a YouTube video. But um, yeah, so pretty much for two years, that was my life. And then I moved to Hawaii and I was still doing CrossFit, but I was also, you know, trying to run more or like do things like that. But my knee was just starting to like really give out. I was just in a lot of like pain or like achiness and the swelling really wasn't draining or ever going away and the range of motion was getting worse and so I went to PT because that's you know always your first step before surgery or anything like that and then that really did not solve any problems Mm -hmm. at all just like the swelling wasn't going away the pain wasn't going away and so then I eventually went um, to see an orthopedic surgeon got an MRI and yeah it they basically just said that I had a partial tear and a lot of evidence of like an old injury so a lot of swelling a lot of scar tissue and at that point it had been you know it was three years after I tore it yes that's really good that you know you ended up getting the MRI and getting it checked out because Mm -hmm. you know that's going to be something that affects your life in the long run too but let's go back to CrossFit so 
You you didn't train CrossFit before this, right? Uh, like before 2015. Yeah. Really? No. No. So no. this is just new because you couldn't do triathlon. Yeah. Well, actually, so I lifted a lot on my own in college, mm-hmm. um, and I would mostly do that in the winters when it was pretty cold, like it was too cold to run outside. Mm-hmm. So, and. I think actually that's something that kept me pretty injury free, yes. like in terms of triathlon, just like the volume of that, like not having weird hip injuries or a whole lot of shoulder issues. I think that helped. But yeah, I did lift a little bit on my own, but not CrossFit, not CrossFit. functional fitness style, yes. just like almost like bodybuilding basically. And I think that really helped you stay, you know, or manage this condition for three years because you were yeah. keeping strong, Probably. even though there were some um, compensations creeping in because yeah. of the lack of knee extension and things you're still keeping strong yeah and i think that really for anybody that suffers an injury yeah you want to restore biomechanics move well but you also want to keep the muscles that are working to protect that area you want to keep them strong so mm-hmm. that really helped you yeah now to touch a little bit more on, on your crossfit your crossfit wasn't recreational either i think you were competing <laughs> um like a little bit at like little local bit. competitions local stuff, not yeah. like you know not like actual like semi-professional or professional crossfit not at all just like local stuff but this wasn't just like your crossfit gym just to like oh get in shape yeah no i definitely (laughs) like i think i you know i have a competitive bone in my body (laughs) i want to be you know fast and strong and Uh i definitely i mean i was like really i was pretty strong for Mm. like not being super i don't know not spending all day in the gym Uh and like it is really fun when you start to like clean or yes. snatch like bigger numbers like you want to keep going <laughs> yes. and that's the competitiveness yeah. or athlete in you right yeah. so all of those things i really think it helped to manage it but like you said it got to a point three years later where okay maybe it's because you wanted to do more activities now that were different from just crossfit but you realize this is not okay yeah i can't do the things that i want yeah and that's what brought you to no, get to this point where, okay, we need to reconstruct this. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that experience a little bit. Because this is, for anybody that tears their ACL outside of structured sports. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not talking about like when you're a little kid. Hopefully mm-hmm. you don't tear your ACL when you're a little kid. But I'm talking about like high school sports where there's an athletic trainer. Yeah. College sports, athletic trainer. Yes. Professional sports, athletic trainer. Yeah. If you're outside of that setting... It's really, I always say this, unfortunately, most people do not know what they're getting themselves into yeah. from the surgery. So let's, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that. You don't have to go too in-depth, but mm-hmm. what was that process like? Because you never had a significant injury. Now you're going to get ACL surgery. Yes. Um, so I, pr- I mean, I saw people in high school, you know, tearing their ACL and getting surgery and somewhat knew what the process was like, I guess. But in terms of like, going to the doctor it's like pretty much just like you need surgery and you say okay and you schedule a date and that honestly that's it like i'm like not exaggerating yes um yeah i mean that's that's really it yeah like (laughs) so yeah what what did you do because i know i know how you are as a person i know your mindset i know that you want to know what's going on so where, what happened after that? Research on your own or talking to your friends or... Um, so, I mean, I was still going to PT. Like, I think once I had to get the MRI and it was decided I needed surgery, I stopped. And, you know, we're planning on resuming after surgery. I think mm-hmm. just, you know, insurance or whatever, you want to mm-hmm. save those visits. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, I pretty much... That was it. Like, they somewhat told me what to expect of, like, a timeline by, like, okay you know it's there's a lot of advances in like 
recovery and exercise science now like you know you might be running by five months like the, all mm. these you know overall this might take anywhere from eight months to a year mm. like to recover fully and I think when I did my own research you know if you're reading stuff online or YouTube of like first of all you see a lot of professional athletes that are back and ready to go like basically running and doing like all these agility drills at like four or five months post-surgery mm -hmm. and you're like well I should be able to do that and you don't realize that that's because they're in PT 24-7 yes. you know with somebody um, that's telling them what to do every day multiple times a day um, yeah and they have all the recovery tools in the world you mm -hmm. know to get through that too so yeah I think I was just expecting the whole process to go much much faster than it did and I would say it took me total probably 11 months or maybe even a full 12 months to mm -hmm. really feel like, okay, I think I can do this on my own now. And yes. I was not expecting that. I was thinking like seven, eight months, I'll yes. be fine. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about in this next section. But one of the things that was unique to your case was that how your knee was functioning or your whole lower body was functioning <laughs> was prolonged for a span of three years. Yeah. So that's where you were functioning, yeah. no doubt. You were doing some <laughs> high level stuff, but all of that kind of got ingrained into how you moved. Yes. And that's what you were fighting or trying to overcome after surgery too. Mm -hmm. So the first thing like for a lot of listeners, cause I know people have a lot of questions. I mean, I hear it daily, right in the clinic, but that's one thing that how you're moving before surgery that kind of sets up either a very good strong base or kind of a shaky foundation for you to progress with the rehab so that's something yeah. that i think most people going into acl surgery they don't take into consideration like what is my function like before and a lot of the athletes that you're speaking of right if they do prehab if they have a couple weeks before mm -hmm. it's literally like you're walking and doing daily stuff like normal you just can't do anything laterally rotationally yeah you can't do anything explosive of course but then yeah. you wouldn't even realize that that person's injured you know when we do prehab or when i do prehab with someone that's really my goal is like the day before surgery you, sh you should feel like you don't need the surgery even though you need the surgery yeah. but that's ideal right so i mean that's kind of it gives you a little bit more insight, I think, as to what happened after surgery, because I'll let you share the next thing. How was it after surgery? <laughs> um, yeah, so I had a rough time, I would say, to put it like lightly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the first four or five months. Like, I think that probably a lot of things I did led to that where I was maybe trying to push myself too hard. I was maybe trying to, I was just up on my feet probably more than I needed <laughs> to be. Um, was never letting any swelling drain, but I also just, I had a ton of swelling from pretty much right after surgery until four or five months. And I remember my first PT appointment after surgery, like this is two days post-surgery. I had no idea like how swollen my leg was going to be how like immobile I was going to be like when they ask you to like bend your knee as far as you can like I could barely move it and I was just like floored I could not believe that like I literally can't move my left leg yeah <laughs> and even that it takes a mental toll on you right yeah because definitely that first really that first month for most people it's pretty rough yeah because it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel yeah when you're stuck in that from what it was like before when you were active, yeah. right? What else were some of the struggles initially, would you say? If you were to share your experience to like someone that's gonna go through this, 
hopefully not but someone that yeah. that's gonna go through this in the near future what were some of your you might have blocked it out of your memory already, yeah maybe but, <laughs> yeah. i think just forcing yourself to like slow down was probably one of the hardest things like i have a really hard time slowing down or just resting or like I can't even take naps like I just <laughs> I can't yeah. um, but I think I was I was honestly trying to do too much I was walking around too much mm-hmm. I tried to like go back into lab like nothing had really happened mm-hmm. like I was ditching my crutches at times when I probably shouldn't have been I think my advice to somebody would just be like slow down and let the swelling drain yes yeah yes and that i'm glad that you said that out of experience because i i did not know you in that beginning stage yeah of you know that acl yeah that first four or five months i yeah. think but that's the number one priority for anyone going through acl the two things you you really have two jobs to do in the first three weeks i always say and this is going to set up either a very smooth <laughs> rehab or not and the first thing is swelling Mm-hmm. You just got to let your body drain out everything and start to have normal circulation and lymph drainage around yeah. your knee. That's the first thing. Yeah. And the second thing is just, you just got to get your knee straight. <laughs> like, that's your two yeah. jobs. Oh, um, that was so hard. And now that I'm remembering, weeks. now that you say that, I remember yeah. how I could not straighten my leg. Like that was the whole yes. thing was I <laughs> would wake up in the middle. So that was the thing is like, you, yeah. you're supposed to sleep with your legs straight, but I couldn't straighten my knee out. Yes. And like, I couldn't before surgery anyway. So <laughs> having to do it after surgery was like even harder. And I remember them telling me like, don't put a pillow under your knee. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, if I don't, I'm in it's excruciating too, yeah. pain. And I would wake up in the middle of the night, I think maybe having stretched in my sleep and mm, just it's just painful. shooting pain <laughs> yeah. like wake up like yelling like yeah. like the dog would be like what is happening yes. because i mean that's okay that memory is coming back to me now and like we should warn people about that yeah I, i'm sorry to bring back some of these bad memories <laughs> yeah. but you know it's interesting because i guess i've seen it so much over the past decade people don't share this part because they don't want people to know how bad it was and i'm not no, using this to scare people but yes there's gonna be times <laughs> when you're in extreme pain yeah you're gonna feel like what is going on with my mm-hmm. knee you know all of this is part of that healing process because there was a lot of reconstruction that happened to put a new acl in there yeah so that's you know things that it will get better though because it did get better yeah right? yeah after well. <laughs> that first the first week is probably the most rough the first month is pretty rough but after yeah. you pass that first week then it usually starts to turn that corner a little bit and you start to make faster progress. So continuing on now, you started to do a lot, I think. Yeah. This is one of the things that I remember is that you were doing a lot. Daily things when I saw you were like no problems, but you really were in no shape strength-wise or conditioning-wise on your knee and your leg to do what you wanted to do. Yeah. So how did the rest of your time just trying to gain that base strength right and range of motion how was that it was i mean it was really hard like you come in and like i came to you in maybe like four and a half months post-surgery i think um we started doing like different exercises that i wasn't doing in pt but you know basically everything you do is super simple you know like hold your leg straight and see how long you can yeah. do that for yes. like and that is like it's it's honestly soul crushing because it's so simple yet it's so 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 hard and like it hurts like nothing yeah. else like like muscle wise yes. like you know you could do a terrible workout but that yeah. doesn't hurt as bad as just holding your leg straight and, yes. and so i think it was just a 
like really having to check myself, like not do too much. Don't go on like too long of walks or anything. Um, like stop trying to walk the dog and just focus on these really, really small exercises. Mm-hmm. And eventually every day is going to pass. And then all of a sudden three or four weeks will have passed. And like, you can move on to something else because it's, that is easy now. And now it's yes. time for the next step. I think that's how it went. Yes. Honestly. <laughs> and no, that's exactly right. And you're speaking from first-hand experience, so it's interesting to hear your take. Because if there's anything, especially my approach to rehab, is like just getting the fundamentals as good as you can, because that's what's going to allow you to do your cleans, your snatches, your jumps, yeah. your all of these other things, your prone paddling, which we'll talk about. But, <laughs> yeah. but really what it was, was you were feeling that you had so much control i think it was good that you had all that body awareness Mm -hmm. because some of these exercises yes they're super simple but you can just kind of do it and go through the motions and not get anything out of it or you can do it with like full intent and it becomes the hardest thing that you've ever done even after you've ran you know long distance triathlons and all of these kind of things and that's what you experienced was that you're starting to pay attention more to like how you're doing the task instead of just doing the task yeah yeah Exactly. And I think that I realized when the first four months really did not go at all as planned and I was still super swollen and I was still in pain, like it really became clear how much was at stake. Like if I don't do this correctly, like my knee is going to be messed up for the rest of my life. And five or 10 years from now, I'm going to have to get like, was it cortisone shots or something like that? Like, yeah, something more aggressive. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you know, like steroid shots to fix my knee or another surgery. Like I want to be really active and I don't want to be in that boat and like if I don't do this as best as I possibly can like something really bad is going to (laughs) happen and that was really I think it was a whole different approach you know whenever you go to see a different facility or a different professional the approach is going to be different but for me it was a lot of you know working with you making sure that you're feeling or getting what you're feeling right but making sure what you're feeling is actually working the muscles and not irritating or stressing your knee yeah and from there i think the first like one or two months it was a lot of conversations with like you wanted to do a lot more yeah <laughs> that's that's usually <laughs> what i go through is like okay i understand you want to do more but this is going to help us get there faster right yeah but after those first two months because to give the listeners a little better picture you were trying to start to run yes <laughs> but your stride length was completely different there was like you had no power or extension on that knee right yeah no it was yeah. so bad <laughs> you were trying to do more of the activities that are in theory the right things to do at that stage like starting to do some hops jump rope maybe yeah um doing more squats and things like that mm-hmm. but there was just a lot of favoring on your good side yes because you didn't have the strength or the responsiveness on that leg yeah to actually do those kinds of things so we have to kind of back off a little bit like you said back off on some of the daily activities too that were causing some irritation yeah and then just really start to build your leg up from the ground up so that you could get to those things faster yeah after those first two months you started to really feel the strength i think the strength difference with other things that you were doing and then we started to get into the lifting again the plyometrics you know Mm -hmm. landings jumping footwork jump rope and all of that yeah was there ever a time where you kind of realized okay i'm turning the corner and i'm getting more excited to do all the things that i want to do 
Yeah, definitely. And then I would probably do too much. We'd have to step it back again. <laughs> there were many times when I would make a, like some progress and yeah. then be like, oops, like too much. <laughs> but luckily, it wasn't so detrimental. I think yeah. you understood how to listen to your body a little bit more. Yeah, And you definitely. understood what kinds of things would help you to recover. I think that was a huge one. Yeah. Yes. As you started to progress back into your activities, were there any highlights that stick Ooh. with you in your memory? Like, when you were excited, you probably know more than I do, that's why. Oh my God, For me, it's kind of all a blend with everybody. Like, yeah. I know there's all of these periods of excitement where like, oh, I could do this again or whatever it is. Yeah, I think just going on a run, like pain-free, like yes. even if it's short, mm-hmm. like going on it, first of all, you basically have to start over. Like you can't mm-hmm. run at all. So you basically have to reteach yourself how to run. And so going on a run pain-free and then all the like, going on a 5k pain-free like you know and 5k to me seems like not a lot of mileage but like right after when you're in the middle of your acl recovery that's like a huge thing to run like three miles like you know and yeah things like that for sure was just getting through workouts and getting through runs like pain-free is really exciting Mm -hmm. yeah and even just getting back that conditioning because i think that was one thing that we managed a lot was just your overall volume yeah because you you're so used to training at a high volume mm-hmm. even even when you were at Tulane right you were still training at a high volume with CrossFit and all of this so yeah. just understanding how to progress back into that training volume meaning how many times a week are you training you know the intensity of each session and all of those things mm-hmm. I think that made a big difference to get you back to everything that you wanted to faster Yeah. even though it may have seemed like a lifetime to you Yeah. <laughs> I was actually very pleasantly surprised with how fast you got back into I mean, even ocean sports, right? Oh, you started, yeah. 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 Like, why don't you talk about oh, that yeah. a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> I just totally forgot about, like, swimming. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, af- immediately after ACL surgery, like, one of the things I did was swim, but, like, yeah. with a pole buoy. So, only pulling. And mm-hmm. if I did a flip turn, I would only kick off my right leg. Mm-hmm. So, I would just ignore my left leg. <laughs> yes. So, actually getting the point where I could swim freestyle and kick or swim freestyle and like do a flip turn and actually push off both legs. Those were huge milestones because it was something that I actually did throughout the entire recovery. Um, Surfing was definitely hard to get into like that. Even for like a year and a half after surgery, because surfing is, you have to be able to respond. Yes. Like immediately you have to be able to respond in any direction. So it's like really unpredictable. And so for a long time I was really, really timid. And then once you go and you have a good session and you like get waves that you're happy about and like that's huge just feeling like you have confidence in your knee and like what it's going to do like that it's going to do what you tell it to do like um or that like you know maybe you kind of ate it on a wave and like you your knee didn't explode like that is also exciting (laughs) Um, exactly yes and then um throughout my recovery i also got back into prone paddleboarding mm-hmm. maybe not a lot of listeners know what that is but <laughs> you, <laughs> you have to explain to me and actually show me videos because i was like prone paddleboarding like what does this entail yeah, yeah. So, so explain okay so it's uh it's actually it looks kind of like a if you see like a racing stand-up paddleboard where mm-hmm. it's you know longer and skinnier looks kind of like that but mm-hmm. you're um meant to lay on it and paddle in the prone position or get up on your knees and like double arm paddle that way mm-hmm. I think so I was actually surprised I mean it's pretty it's big in Hawaii in like certain communities but it's I think moving here I was expecting a lot more people to be into it Mm -hmm. than they were it's actually really big on the mainland Mm -hmm. I think because of like 
the ocean rescue competition uh-huh. environment. But the boards are slightly different for that than what we use out here for like basically everybody here is into distance paddling. So, mm. you know, doing downwind runs, basically everything that like a canoe would do out here. You're just it. doing it on a prone paddleboard and it's slower and more painful. <laughs> and more painful. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's just <laughs> testing that mindset. Yeah, when you're exactly. Doing like you, you do it if you like like gnarly conditions and you like hurting, I guess. <laughs> and it's, you know, you're out there on a downwinder, like a Hawaii Kai run and the canoes zoom past you and yeah. you're just like, well, here I am, <laughs> like going a little slower. Yes. But, <laughs> but I, I'm glad that it's those kind of things <laughs> for anybody that goes through ACL reconstruction. Yeah. It's like having those end goals of what you want to achieve. And yeah. Just having, it's not uncommon for anybody after physical therapy it's not uncommon for you to have this huge gap to get back into these activities. So either find out, get the support or find a professional or, you know, someone that can help you through that process, because there's going to be a lot of ways that you can transition to that, to that end goal, I guess, in a safe and faster way so you can enjoy it again. But the prone paddleboarding, that was something new too, because I think I asked that right off the bat, like what, what kinds of things do you want to get back to? Yeah. And, that's when you had to show me all of this. But in the beginning, I mean, I wasn't too concerned about that because we had to address some of the, the fundamental things. But yeah. as we started to progress more and more, it was really interesting to see what does your lower body need to withstand and what kinds of activities yeah. do we need to prepare you for? Because that's really the later stages of rehab. I wouldn't even say rehab. It's the later stages of training. And that's where it gets very specific as to what will get you to feel comfortable and confident again Mm -hmm. doing all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share about your overall ACL recovery? I know it was Mm -hmm. a lot longer than you expected. Yeah, it definitely was. I think, I think, yeah, that's it. Is that like, it's don't watch YouTube videos and expect to be back to normal in six months, like a professional athlete. It definitely takes a long time, even though it's, two years two plus years after surgery i still need to do strength work like i would say at least twice a week Mm -hmm. and there have been times where maybe i'm paddling a lot and i think i don't have time for it or work is really busy and i actually don't have time for it like i feel it like if i try to run or anything like that like my knee is noticeably more achy Mm -hmm. might even get swollen if i try to push it too hard but i really like what helps alleviate the pain and like keeps me functioning normally is like keeping up with the strength work whether it's just like doing a lot of the exercises that we did mm-hmm. or just incorporating more stuff like weighted squats or banded stuff like mm-hmm. things like that like on my own like it's so so important and I can definitely notice a difference when I do it yes yeah and that's a great message for everybody <laughs> because it's I think that's the one misconception especially with healthcare insurance coverage you know it is a good thing right yeah but a lot of people think that when something comes to a abrupt end that that's it like Mm -hmm. okay i'm good to go when that's not the right mindset or perspective because if you just stop everything and you don't have a maintenance plan that's when things are going to start to pop up again and if it's not your knee it's going to be other areas of your body yeah now last thing is (laughs) through the whole process is there anything that you really really learn from going through this injury and this could be anything like physically i know you learned a lot about your body like how to listen to it but even mentally or socially because you know you were out for a while anything yeah i think i mean i think it just comes down to like recovery and listening to my body if my knee hurts don't push it 
like don't try to be a hero I guess because it's just gonna hurt worse tomorrow mm-hmm. oh and <laughs> really made me appreciate how important nutrition was because mm-hmm. when you're uh, like your training volume basically decreases yes. drastically food becomes very very important so mm-hmm. during like my recovery that was also something that I basically had to relearn because I was you know not training at the volume I was used to but yeah I think overall it led me to appreciate how all those factors like come together to make yes. my knee feel healthy or not so great yes <laughs> I'm glad you said that that's yeah. a great message that's what I'm all all about is that everything affects all these different areas of your life yeah right? especially when you're recovering through something this is significant an ACL injury and getting surgery that's significant so you need to make sure that you're doing things to help to support that recovery process and not go against it and create yeah. more obstacles now We'll wrap up pretty soon because I know you got to get back to all of your your studies and everything. But what's what's in the future for you? Like the competitive competitive spirit in you. Are there any things that you are working towards now since your knee is pretty close to 100%, I would say? Um, I would like to run some longer distances. Mm-hmm. Maybe not right now while it's like so hot, but maybe do a few half marathons. Mm-hmm maybe try trail running out here but a lot of the trails are pretty steep so um but then also i've been prone paddling a lot and um i'd like to train for molokai to oahu on the prone paddleboard um whether probably most likely team like a two-person team possibly solo but probably team first how what are the times for that um like in general so the women's like world record for prone is like I want to say it's like 540 something. Well, yeah, they're really fast, but <laughs> that's the uh, yeah. Australian girls are really yeah. good. But um, I think most people are coming in between like six and eight hours. Okay. Yeah. That is a lot of time that you'll be in silence. Yeah. Yeah. 32 miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's good that you have the aspirations again. And, you know, you're seeing that all of these things are very reasonable and realistic now after yeah. you took care of that knee definitely i know at some points in time during that recovery you may have not imagined that you would be doing all of these things but yeah that's where you gotta just keep sticking with it every acl reconstruction and i'm speaking on behalf of all of the people that i've seen go through this there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be times when you think you're never going to get better and there's going to be times that you think that it's going really well you know i think that's all part of the process that really teaches you how to get back to all of these activities so yeah without all of that you know it wouldn't be a acl recovery i think you have to go (laughs) through all of these things unfortunately but it's very good to hear that everything is going well you're keeping up with the strength work the maintenance training well and you're doing all of these things that you love to do yeah on that note before we end when are you finishing up your phd program and do you have anything that you want to say about that and what are some of your professional goals you don't have to share all of it but yes i hope to be finished in like a year year and a half and like knock on wood because i don't know that it would be great that would put me at like four four and a half years total Mm -hmm. which would be I think a really good timeline for finishing. Um, So for my actual PhD project, 
I look at iron oxide nanoparticles as a way to um, deliver vaccines. So some vaccines use a whole entire pathogen and that's what will actually elicit the immune response. Mm -hmm. But some vaccines use a very small portion of that, Mm -hmm. but you need a additional part of the vaccine to help deliver that portion, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Um, So what I look at is how my iron oxide nanoparticles can help deliver that small portion of the vaccine and also how they stimulate specific immune cells to help the vaccine do what it's supposed Mm -hmm. to do. Yes. Did I break that down enough? No, that that (laughs) makes a lot of sense. People need to rewind that and listen to it again. (laughs) But that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you don't have to share too much or more than you want to, but is there anything, because you do have a master's in public health Mm -hmm. and you're getting your PhD. Is there any like end goal or... (laughs) <laughs> setting or I think professionally um, I'm kind of weighing two options I really would enjoy teaching I do like just teaching in general mm-hmm. I think is um, really rewarding mm-hmm. but also I really think the lifestyle of mm-hmm. you know being a college professor would really suit me I don't know that I would want a like to work in biotech like the thought mm-hmm. of like a just nine to five being in the lab or desk job like at a biotech company that that is definitely something I can roll out but teaching is very appealing to me and also maybe getting a federal job with you know EPA or National Mm -hmm. Park Service or USGS and actually using my I would like to transition into more um, environmental infectious Mm -hmm. diseases Mm -hmm. so maybe um, you know surveying infectious diseases that are you know zoonoses things that come from animals that actually can infect humans things like that there's a lot of like environmental presence yes and that could be a whole nother episode series or podcast so we won't go (laughs) into covid but but anyway that would be like right up your alley you know like you would probably have a lot of things that you could teach me about that but anyway no thanks so much for sharing your story i think it's very interesting for everybody that is in the process of recovering from acl surgery toward their acl or even years after down the line because a lot of problems arise like two three five ten years down the line a lot of people are like hey my knee is not is not working like how it should and i i see a lot of those athletes as well too so very good that you're i mean thank you for sharing your experience and very good that you're keeping up with the maintenance because that really is vital and, and extremely key to keep you active and doing all the things that you love is there any last bits of information that you would want to share to anybody in general? It doesn't have to be about ACL, but anybody that's going through this process, any last words of wisdom? I think that there is just eventually a light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. like on some of those really crappy days where you feel like it's never going to get better. Eventually, you know, weeks will go by and you'll be really surprised at actually how far you've come. Yes. So that's about it. That is very good words <laughs> of wisdom. And thank you again so much for joining me. I This was a fun conversation. A lot of gems are in here. So <laughs> for anybody that needs to hear this, please share it. And yes, thank you for sharing your story. But thank you again so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me to be on. Yeah.